You've been gone a whole month. I haven't been gone a whole month. Okay, we. I've not seen you for a whole month. You mean you haven't seen me since we had lunch on Friday? Being pedantic, but no, no, no. It's been a month since we last recorded. You may think it hasn't been a month because the last episode didn't come out a month ago, but that's the magic of the editing process. We can record something and release it later. <laughs> so, it's been a month since we recorded. Let's hope we can remember how to do it. You're well rested? Sort of. I've had really bad jet lag. People at the office have been joking about how long I can string out the excuse of jet lag. Like, you've been back a week now. You can't keep claiming it's jet lag. And I was like, no, man, my sleep pattern's really messed up. It's jet lag. And they're like, you're going to be claiming this in April. You're going to be saying like, oh, my jet lag's so bad from that trip I made three months ago. Is that your plan? Yeah, totally. Seriously, though, I have had really bad jet lag. I've been super tired around 8pm. I just wanted to go to sleep at 8pm, crashing out, and then waking up at 1am, like, uh-oh, and then just unable to sleep again until, like, 4. So what do you do with your three hours? I just stubbornly try to go back to sleep. I'm like body how dare you we've got things to do you're meant to be asleep now and i will just lie there in bed like some kind of sack of potatoes or something that rolls around back and forth in an irritated fashion does it work no but i'm stubbornly refusing to change my ways (laughs) actually i have thought several times about trying to do something useful with the time like i have thought several times about maybe we should just try and edit the podcast or something <laughs> don't do that don't, don't do that well how about you do you sleep straight through or do you have problems i have problems do you have jet lag related problems or you just have all the time problems i can't say all the time because it's not all the time at what point does it become chronic i don't know you tell me it's like once or twice a week once or twice a week that's pretty bad i know it's quite bad that's why I, I have a I have a process. Of course you have a process. I, I've started playing COD, which I can tell you doesn't work. <laughs> I could have told you it doesn't. Surely COD is the perfect confluence of all the things you shouldn't do. Like, it's using a screen, which is blasting blue light into your face, and then it's like a high-energy adrenaline action game. But I thought it would take me off the, the stress of trying to sleep. Surely you should do something like drink a cup of warm milk and listen to some soothing music. That doesn't clear the mind as well as COD does. But the problem is it just replaces the the existing stress with another kind of stress, which winds me up as well. Is this just because you lose at COD because you're bad? Yes. You've played Blackout. Are there people who just insist on running around with a knife? What? There are people who just insist on running around with a knife and just knifing you in the back. That's all they do. Is this on your own team? Or is this people you encounter? On the other team, obviously. I have met these people and it's just... They're totally doing it to troll you and it's just really embarrassing as well when you walk into a room with like a shotgun and then you just get knifed to death and you're just like, wow, they bought a knife to a gunfight and they won. What does this say about me? I'm just very inadequate. And when you've got distance on your side, they'll throw an axe at you and still get you. 
It's just sad. In the olden days, I would have been one of those people. And now I'm just poor, decrepit Mike. But now you understand why I can't sleep, because I get wound up. Just play something else, man. I'll do that next time. It was an experiment. It didn't work out. I thought, I've got a solution to my problem. Because originally I was watching like videos just passively, but my mind would just keep stressing out on, it's getting to 4am now. I'm still awake. You should read a book. Maybe. This feels like a very unsatisfying conversation. I'm sorry. There's just like, there's just no closure. We we should point out, when did you try this COD at one in the morning experiment? Last night. Last night. So how many hours sleep did you get last night? Four. Three and a half. You loser. I had 10 hours sleep last night. I'm like hash winning at sleep. So you're going to be a broken man for this recording. I do love how you change your measure of success whenever it suits you. <laughs> Hashtag winning at life. One hour of sleep. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I'm awake all the time. I don't need sleep. I'm hashing at life. I don't know. What am I even saying? I don't know. <laughs> I really love your view of the world. I really do. This bizarre, egocentric. Yeah, it's trivial. <laughs> Change the measure to, to be successful. This is why I'm not worried at one in the morning at night. <laughs> also, also... I think in the winter, the lizard is sleeping a bit more, but he's leaving like little droppings around the flat still. This is the lizard that lives in your flat. Yeah. Is it just one lizard or are there like... Don't, don't go there. I I don't want to entertain the idea of there being multiple. So this is a lizard in your flat in the same way that in the UK you might have a mouse in your house. No. A mouse is a pest. A mouse is vermin. Yes. A lizard is eating bugs for me and leaving little presents. Yeah. But at least they don't move. The droppings. <laughs> Not the. <laughs> I feel like this is a sleep deprived conversation. I don't understand where this came from. Or... It's just part of what I notice when at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., the lizard's just like, What are you doing up? I thought we agreed. The flat is mine after 1am. And I think I, I'm well aware of it. I, I knock on the door before I come in because I don't want to bust on in, you know, with him there. <laughs> I just don't like it. You're sharing your flat with a lizard. Yeah. yeah. We should move on. Did you play Super Mario Party? At Christmas time with my family. Yes. Was it a gift received with open arms? I mean... I was giving it to a grown-up, so they're not going to be like, this is a shit gift. I don't think they liked it that much. <laughs> yeah, it did not go down that well. As in, we tried playing the standard mode with the board game, and then in the last few turns, all the stars just got like randomly redistributed, and <laughs> my family were like, what's going on? What's the point of this game? Why bother getting all the stars? They're just going to take them away at the end anyway. So, uh, yeah, your prediction was correct. Did you partake? I didn't partake when they were playing the board game mode because I was editing the podcast, shockingly. I was actually literally editing the podcast to try and get it out before the end of the year. I did play some of the other game modes. So there's one where you're like a marching band and you have to kind of like move your fist to see if you're 
you know, like waving a baton around and then you play mini games. Or there's another one where you're in a raft, like going down river rapids. rapids. Yeah. And you have to kind of paddle this raft to steer, to avoid fissures or hit balloons that trigger mini games to give you more time. I actually thought it was really fun. I actually quite enjoyed it. I was thinking, oh, this game's great. So I wish someone got it for me. Yeah, totally. I, I'd actually give Mario Party a thumbs up. I mean, what was funny is that we also tried playing Smash Brothers and my family totally didn't get that either. So it's not like they were just poo-pooing Mario Party. I think they just were perplexed by computer games in general. So when they tried to play Smash Brothers, they were just like, what's going on? Why does Pikachu have a baseball bat? There's so many explosions. Which character am I? And, you know, they just couldn't keep track of the chaos. So they didn't really like that either. They were fine with Mario Kart. They liked Mario Kart. So we mostly played Mario Kart and Jackbox. Have you unlocked Isabel? I have unlocked Isabel. And? I've tried playing a few rounds with Isabel, but I think it's going to take some practice before I'm actually competent at using Isabel. In fact, I don't think I'm very good at Smash Brothers in general. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me tonight Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Timothy. We're a book club for games. And today we are. Woot. Woohoo. Woohoo. I'm trying to do a Mario one. What does Mario say? It's a me, Mario. You get really good at these. I think my Mario was a bit off, but... Is there no let's go? Let's go. Charles Martinet, eat your heart out. Nintendo, I'm available for, I don't know, or just please don't sue us for this podcast. So what are we covering? So today we're talking about Super Mario Brothers 3. Super Mario Bros. 3 on the NES slash Famicom. And back in the old days, we didn't have one global release date. No, we did not. Monsters. So the original release date for this game was October 23rd, 1988 in Japan. That's a really, really long time ago. Not really. It's not even in the 90s. And then, just as shocking is the gap between that original release and the US release date. So the US got this game February 12th, 1990. That's over a year later. And then even more horrifying is the gap between the US release date and the European release date. So Europe didn't get this game until August 29th, 1991. That's almost three years after the Japanese release. 
Can you imagine if Japan had got Super Mario Odyssey three years before Europe? Because that's what this is like. But in a world without YouTube, it's okay. Or without the internet. And without air travel. <laughs> they had air travel in the 90s. Was, this is unacceptable, is what I'm saying. This is unacceptable. I remember as a kid being on holiday in, it must have been Singapore, and seeing Mario 3 running on a Famicom and being really confused. Because we only just had like Mario 2. Like, what was this? Like, I'd never even heard of a third Mario game, and yet here it was. But how much exposure did you have back then? I mean, were you reading Nintendo something magazine? I mean, it's a really long time ago, so my sense of time for events is going to be a little bit hazy. I mean, there must have been coverage in magazines that this game was coming. I think it must have been hyped. Well, they certainly had long enough to hype it. I mean, three years from it being released to us getting it in the UK. I think the other point to make is this level of delay wasn't even unusual back then. It was very common for Europe to get games a long time after their initial release. And many games didn't make it over to Europe at all yeah it was a different time it was a terrible time but we did get this game eventually and did you get it what's weird is i'm not sure i actually even ever owned super mario Bros. 3 or if i just played it at you know friends houses or if we like swapped games and i played it that way like i'm not sure i ever owned it i think i probably owned it eventually because there did come a time when retailers were just liquidating their NES stock and they were just selling NES games for a few pounds. So it's possible I got it at that point. I don't even remember what games I owned anymore. So what was going on at the time? Anything we wanted to bring up? Mario 3 was a major like cultural phenomenon. It was, it was I guess, a AAA game for the time. Although, I mean, what does AAA mean? Like, I probably didn't cost $100 million to make, if only because $100 million was really a lot of money back then. But there was a huge marketing machine behind it. There were McDonald's Happy Meals. I still remember, like, badgering my parents to take us to McDonald's so that I could get the Happy Meal. There was a film that was basically a feature-length advert for Nintendo games and Mario 3 in particular, since the climax of the film is a computer game tournament where they play an unreleased game, which is Mario 3. And you've watched it? Yes, I watched the film. We actually rented it on VHS from Blockbuster. So (laughs) that would suggest I actually saw it after Mario 3 came out. But then again, given the delay of us receiving Mario 3 in the UK. It's entirely possible that I actually watched it before Mario 3 and it just contributed to the hype. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Sorry. How are you playing Super Mario Bros. 3 for the book club? So, we're both playing it the same way, which is the Switch Online version. Yes. So, of the many ways that we have available to play Mario 3, I have chosen to play it's on Switch Online just because it's really convenient. 
as I said a bit earlier, I can't actually remember if I actually owned the NES Mario 3, but I do actually own the Famicom Mario 3 because I bought it on a recent trip to Japan and I do have a Retro Freak, which I could play it on. So from your expression, I can tell that you didn't realise I had that and you were slightly perplexed why I would have done such a thing. In hindsight, I'm not sure why I did that either. As with a lot of what you do. Switch version is the Switch Online version. It's the US version. Which means, compared to the version I would have played as a child, it probably has very slightly different timing, because I would have played the PAL version, which is going to have the same kind of timing differences that we talked about in the Super Mario Brothers episode. Was the US version slightly easier than the Japanese version? Yes, the US version was slightly easier. So in the Japanese version, they maintained the same kind of power-up rules as in the original Super Mario Brothers. So if you have a second level power-up, like a Fire Flower or the Super Leaf, when you hit an enemy, you'll just become Small Mario. In the US version, you just lose one level of power-up. So If you have a Fire Flower and you get hit, you'll go back to being Super Mario, not Small Mario. I think if you have a Japanese Switch, then you'll actually have the Japanese version. But for both of us, well, I guess we've got Hong Kong Switches, but they're set to the US App Store. (laughs) So we've got the US version. Let's talk about the the design, the legacy. So what is Super Mario Bros. 3's legacy? So Mario 3 introduces a lot of concepts that just become the norm for the 2D Mario games going forward. In particular, a world map and more varied power-ups. So this is the first time that we get a flying power-up, for example. And there's a whole bunch of other niche ones, which, well, largely we never see again, <laughs> like the frog suit and the Hammer Brother suit. I'm sure, mm, maybe. Let's uh. <laughs> 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 no, make funny noises. I'm sure. I'm sure. I wonder, I wonder. If there has been a frog suit since then. I really don't think there has. But then again, I haven't played New Super Mario Bros. U yet, so... 3D World? Or you don't count those ones? What's a 3D one, not a 2D one? Okay, fine. No, no, no. no. I'm pretty sure there's no frog suit in any future Mario game. We do get a lot of other weird and wacky power-ups in the future Mario games, like the flying squirrel suit and the cat suit and the boomerang suit. Is there a boomerang suit? Did I invent that? If you've asked me whether there's a legitimate power-up, I would have said yes. One point to note in the context of 
our discussion of the Mario games in the book club is we've skipped out Mario 2. We've skipped out both Mario 2s because there are two of them. There's the Japanese Mario 2 and there's the US Mario 2, which is actually another game called Doki Doki Panic. I don't know if we're going to come back to Mario 2 at some point and play one or both of them. But yeah, the map screen is a major evolution. So both Mario 2s didn't have a map screen. Both Mario 2s didn't have these weird and wacky power-ups. And from a technical perspective, Mario 3 is the first Mario game to introduce diagonal scrolling. So the first Super Mario Brothers was purely horizontal. The US Mario 2 had some vertical scrolling in addition to horizontal scrolling, but it didn't have diagonal scrolling. And so Mario 3 is the first one that has big and tall, but also wide levels. And with the flying power-ups, you can go up and down and diagonally and wherever. So immediately, one of the things you come across when you start off the game are the glitchy edges. So what I mean by that is on the far right, to me, it looks like a it's, it looks like there's a green bar. Is this intentional? Why is it here? Why did the lazy bastards not fix this? And apparently there's a very good reason for this. It's not always a green bar. No, obviously not. But when you first come across it, that's what it looks like. Obviously, I know it's more subtle than that. I've, I've had the benefit of your explanation. Well, rather than me try and explain it, there's a very good YouTube video that details exactly what's going on and why there are these glitchy edges. I think the most important thing is that on a CRT, because of the overscan, you wouldn't have seen this. I mean, did you see this? Well, you might not have seen this. I think it was quite common on a CRT TV, which of course was the only kind of TV that existed in the 80s and 90s, for the image to actually go beyond the boundaries of what could be shown on the screen. So the TV wouldn't actually show the entire picture. There would be what was called overscan. And so effectively cropped the edges of the picture off. And this far right edge of the screen where the glitchiness was happening would quite commonly be clipped away by the overscanning. Having said that, I'm pretty sure that my TV at home back in the day didn't really have any significant overscan and I did also see these weird glitchy edges but you just kind of accepted it that's just what games were like back then I want to say there are certain artifacts we accept today which they won't accept in 30 years time I can't think of any well I mean you see all sorts of like rendering shortcuts these days right in 3D engines so there's just a certain like look that water has or that shadows have and they're like very pixely or something like there are certain just limitations of the hardware and you just accept okay this shadow doesn't look quite right but i know it's meant to be a shadow so i just accept it and you know you have to think this system is so underpowered that it can't scroll properly without resulting in this weird glitchiness at the right like that's the trade-off to allow it to scroll in both directions Lots of games back then had similar kind of weirdness in them. So we've talked about the version we played. 
and we talked way too long about what the world was like at the time this game originally came out. But focusing on the here and now, how did you actually play this game? I played through it meticulously. One one, one two, one three, one fortress, one four, one five, one six, and so on. And after every level, I would create a save state, and at the same time, wondering why I'm accumulating all these items. And I asked you, I asked you that, and I think that is quite an interesting side effect of the way we play games today and modern day conventions in games versus this game coming from the past and trying to play it now. Since this game didn't have a save game system, which meant that the game had to be completable in one session. And how long could you reasonably be expected to play the game for? If you were to play the game meticulously, as you did, for every level in the game, that would be a really marathon session. And when it comes to those power-ups that you can earn in between levels from the Toad Houses or from the Hammer Brothers, etc. If you're just playing the game with save states, you never really need to use those power-ups. And so you will just accumulate them. But if you were trying to play the game in one sitting with limited lives, then those power-ups become much more useful. In particular, Ones like the P-Wing are very powerful and let you effectively just skip an entire level. So, you know, I can tell you that as a kid, there were certain levels that I was just not capable of doing normally, but I would make sure I had a P-Wing saved up to get through that level. And the game is potentially very short if you actually do know what you're doing. So we did very briefly play a two-player game together it was really difficult to play because you were in Hong Kong and I was in London and we were talking on a WhatsApp phone call and the input lag was shocking so it was actually really tough to play but we still somehow managed to get within about half an hour most of the way through World 8 you say we, mostly you. Okay, mostly me. I think you were quite surprised. So I hadn't actually really played the game at all. But I was like, oh, geez, it's the book club game. I better get it done. And so we set up this two-player remote play session. And I just dragged out my Super Mario Bros. 3 knowledge from 20 years ago. And yeah, we mostly finished the game within 30 minutes. Especially after seeing how cat-candid you were at Super Mario Bros. 1. I was amazed, amazed how everything looked so effortless. Yeah, well, the physics in Mario 1, like my memory of the physics, is just totally different from how the game actually plays. But Mario 3, I think, is much closer to, you know, modern Mario physics. And so it came back to me much more naturally. Plus, I remembered all the secrets. I remembered where the warp whistles were. 
I remembered that you can use a warp whistle on the warp whistle screen to go directly to World 8. And so, boom, that was most of the game done. And that's how you're meant to finish, play Mario Brothers 3. Yeah, I think you're meant to be exploring the game. You're meant to discover these secrets as you go. And then you're meant to refine the way you play the game to let you be able to finish the game in one sitting. Again, I can tell you anecdotes from like the distant past. When I first played the game, I did play every level and I'd maybe get to like world three or four and then it was dinner time and I'd have to stop. Or I'd run out of lives and then I'd just get stuck on a level, something like that. And then I found out where the warp whistles were, or at least I found out where one warp whistle was. And then maybe I would play to the point where I got that warp whistle and then I would use that warp whistle and then I'd explore what the other worlds were like. So I'd find out what it was like to play World 5, World 6, World 7 and I'd decide which levels I wanted to play and then I'd find another warp whistle and I'd figure out a more efficient way through again and so on and eventually culminating in the I know how to do this game within 30 minutes. Boom. Cool. Other funny concessions to the fact that there's no save games are that you can play each level only once. So once you've finished a level, that's it. You can never play that level again unless you reset the game, which is kind of funny. I mean, if you if you imagine a game where you can save the game, imagine if, you know, you got to the end and you couldn't play any of the previous levels. I guess there are games like that, but... It still feels funny to me if you had a map and you just couldn't go back anywhere. So I think playing the game with save states is a bit odd. But everyone's kind of just accepted that that's how things are with save states. Things that the game does well, though. There are a lot of secrets. And some of those secrets are very obscure. So the first warp whistle is hidden behind the end of the level using this weird mechanic where if you duck on a white block for a long time, you fall behind the scenery. And that's just a general mechanic of white blocks. So anytime you see a white block in the game, you can just duck on it for a long time and you'll fall behind the scenery. And they just hid a warp whistle behind the end of the level on one particular level or there are certain levels where if you collect every coin a secret white mushroom house will appear with an extra special power up how did you find these honestly looking back on it as a cynical adult was it just an excuse to sell nintendo power magazine or minutes on the nintendo helpline (laughs) For a lot of these, I'm not sure how you discover them on your own. But then some of them, like the treasure ship, are just combinations of really unusual scenarios. So if you wanted to do it deliberately, it would be really hard to do because, you know, the trigger condition is some particular combination of your score and the number of coins and the number of seconds on the timer. But if you just play the game long enough it will just happen. And then you'll be like, oh, what did I do? This is amazing. I've never seen this before. So stuff like that does keep it cool and interesting. And 
it was fun as a kid in the playground you're talking to your friends you're like oh did you discover this or did you find this or you know did you find the third warp whistle like what there's three warp whistles i only know about two of them you know it's like there was cool stuff like that did you discover any of this because i don't the thing is i don't know what is a secret i just discover it as part of playing the game so even if i saw something i wouldn't have known because i didn't have the context really yeah do you know what i mean it would have been pure chance or pure luck if i bundled into something which i wasn't meant to see and i wouldn't know because i was too stupid to to know it was a secret but we know like bad players can win at pubg they don't know how much effort it was they just won pubg you know by pure chance or by pure luck i don't know i mean you were surprised when you saw how i played mario 3 though right you were surprised when i got those two warp whistles i mean you could tell they were secrets right oh yeah yeah but only because you were able to commentate or narrate as you were playing it and everything was very deliberate like if i'm just jumping left and right and accidentally hit a platform and i just push up because i'm trying to run away or stay alive and everything is a bit mad i can still get there you won't you won't buy that i don't know i i feel like I feel like you didn't appreciate it. You know, you didn't appreciate the game properly. Like, I I somehow managed to force you to play Mario 3 by making it the book club game, and you still didn't play it properly. Just very disappointed. Now you know how Jonathan Blow feels. Almost. (laughs) You're playing it wrong. You're playing it wrong. It's not even my game. As I said, like, my stats are just half of what Jonathan Blow's are. So, if we make a game together, I'm just going to add loads of secrets in that you're not going to (laughs) get. So we've taken a really long time to get to this point, but we're finally going to talk about the actual game. I say that, but my very first point is going to be about the design again, which is... (laughs) The levels are very short, at least compared to the later Mario games. I think they're a similar kind of length to the Mario 1 levels, which again were surprisingly short when I played the game again. They tend to focus on showcasing a particular concept or a particular enemy so every level of the game is a little bit special in a particular way like this is the only level in the game that has this kind of enemy or this level is a puzzle level or this level showcases this particular mechanic and you know they're not going to use it again and i think that's another thing that carries over to the later 2D Mario games. I've definitely seen in New Super Mario Brothers, and in fact, even in Super Mario World, they do the same thing. They showcase a particular thing in each level. So there's one level where there's an angry sun following you, and that's it. You're just running away from this angry sun. It was annoying, but it's not the only time this game is annoying. (laughs) 
Sometimes there'll be an enemy under the, what do you call it, the finish block? Yeah, the goal block. The first time that happened, that really annoyed me. Did you die? Yeah, obviously. What? I I thought I was done. Pay attention, Ting. (laughs) And then another one would be the rotary platform. So they're like windmills. There'll be a rotary platform just before the finish pipe. So you jump on that platform and it just flings you into oblivion. Yeah, I feel... (laughs) They did it on purpose. Yes. They really did it on purpose. They're just trying to prolong your enjoyment of the game. They didn't have a huge amount of space in the cartridge. They had to make sure, you know, they extended your gameplay by just trolling you. It's the original troll level. I enjoyed it. I really wanted to give, you know, give the game the middle finger after I finished such a level, these levels. Another cool design and gameplay kind of crossover is the two-player mode isn't a straightforward take-turns system like it was in the first game. So on the world map, the player whose turn it isn't will have a little marker with like M or L for Mario or Luigi. And you as the player whose turn it is can move over that marker and push the A button as if you're entering a level and it will actually trigger a special competitive mini game and whoever wins that mini game it gets to be their turn so if it's your turn but you don't want to play that level you can actually go into that mini game and lose on purpose to hand control back to the other player or again on the trolling this game is like the original troll game actually i never really realized this until <laughs> we're talking about it now if the player whose turn it is has to pass over your marker even though it's not your turn, you can actually like mash the A button and pull them into the mini game, and then beat them at it, and then you get to have your turn again. So when you're a kid and you don't really want to share, <laughs> it's just a way to cause fights with your friends. Were you that kid? I was going to say no, but maybe I was. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. the fact that I know that you can do this suggests that maybe I was. And there are quite a few surprises in that mode too, because normally it's like a remake of the original Mario Brothers. But sometimes when you go into that mini game screen, it will actually be a different game. So there's one where you have to collect coins and dodge fireballs, or another one where it's a race to collect all the coins. I don't know, it's quite interesting. There's just like a few rarer mini games that just pop up and keep it interesting. When we we're talking about the things Mario 3 brought to the table, like the world map, and then the weird and wacky power-ups. You must have got the Super Leaf, the raccoon suit. Yes. Did you get any of the less common power-ups? So, the frog suit, the tanuki suit, and the hammer brother suit. Oh, the sad thing is, I got them, but I never used them, because I just let them sit in the inventory in the world map and I was just hoarding them because that's what you do when you have infinite save states but that's the exact opposite of what you do when you've got infinite saves you should just use it and then if you didn't like it reload your save state I'm really good at ruining games for myself you're really good at doing it wrong did you get these? duh (laughs) it's funny that they actually put these power-ups in and then made them so rare 
but that did make it feel extra special. And then because it's a game where you didn't have save games, when you found one of these rare power-ups, you know, you would remember, you'd be like, oh, wow, I just got the Hammer Brothers suit. Let's save it for a special occasion. No, let's make the most of it now before I have to turn this off and go for dinner time. Or the next time I play this game, I'm going to make sure to root in this level to get a Hammer Brother suit or to get a Tanuki suit or to get the frog suit. Although I don't know why you get the frog suit. It's a complete waste of time. Well, that's a shame that you missed out. The frog suit in particular is actually quite an interesting one from a design perspective as well, because underwater it makes the game way easier to control. You don't have to push the A button to do your little swimming motion. You can literally just use the D-pad and you'll just move in that direction. So it makes the swimming way easier. But on land, you move like a frog. So you just have to do little jumps. Like it, it makes you really easy to control underwater, but really hard to control on land, which is the opposite of the usual situation where you control really well on land, but really difficultly underwater so in the end you played this game through meticulously every single level until you didn't and you gave up and then i knew how to finish this game in 30 minutes but i actually for the book club played through every level really meticulously even though i probably shouldn't have i should probably have spent some time doing game dev but i didn't but we've got a few particular levels that we thought were worthy of comment. Yes. So, you first. My first submission is Worlds 3-2. It's... How, how do you describe this world? I can't even... I forget that there are eight worlds. Themed worlds. Which I didn't realise till the end. What is World 3? World 3 is... Waterland, Oceanland. It's the water-themed yes. world. I mean, <laughs> it's funny actually to think: is this game just a massive video game cliche, or is it only a cliche because other games are copying this game? I think it might actually be the latter. But yeah, there are eight worlds. Each one is themed. World three is the water-themed world. So it's a regular level, except there's water. The platform's on top of water, and then therefore, there are loads of fishes just jumping out of the water. Cheap cheeps. And they're moving platforms, which I found painful as F. However, you said there was a secret for this. Yeah, so what makes this level hard? You'll likely just get a fish in the face. What would make this easier is if you were invincible, and the fish got you in the face instead. So... There is an, I was going to say, an undocumented mechanic, but who reads instruction manuals anyway? There's an invincibility star in this level. And later on, there's a block that just has a coin in it. Except that if you're invincible, it actually has an invincibility star in it again. So you can actually chain your way through the level and get an invincibility star and run very quickly to this block and get another invincibility star out of it and then run to the next one and do it. And so you can make it through the entire level being permanently invincible and then 
it's just a matter of executing your jumps correctly to move swiftly from one block to the other. But you don't have to worry about the fish because you're invincible. But if you fail to make it to the next block in time and your invulnerability runs out, then the block will just have a coin in it. So it's another little secret and a hidden mechanic that shows up a few times. There are several levels like this where they have these blocks that are an invincibility star, but only if you are invincible when you hit the block. So the world immediately after that, World 3-3, there's a big fish chasing you. What a wind-up. It's the game is not for real. The thing I find funny about the big fish is it doesn't work the same way as like every other enemy in the game. So the way this game normally works, you get the super mushroom and you're safe. Because if you take a hit, you just go back to being small Mario again. So, you know, you've got that safety net. You feel safe. But the big fish doesn't work like that. The big fish just eats you. So you're small Mario and you get the mushroom. You think, oh, good. I'm big Mario now. I can relax. Nope, the big fish just eats you whole. Such a troll. I'm surprised I have your sympathy. I mean, only an idiot would get eaten by the fish, but... (laughs) No. I mean, my next one that I wanted to highlight was actually World 3.8. It's actually another level with the big fish on it. So, if World 3.3 was a level where you had to just avoid the big fish. But it wasn't too hard to avoid the big fish. You just had to not stand still or fall in the water. But World 3.8, the level moves up and down through a really large height range. And for a significant amount of the time, all of the platforms pretty much are submerged underneath the water. So it's much harder to avoid being eaten by the fish. Is there only one solution to this level? What's the one solution, do you think? You have to hit certain points of the the level as the water level rises. So you're never submerged. I think you can avoid the fish if you're skillful. I think you can just time your jump so you just jump out the way. Or you can always just like shoot a fireball in the fish's face and kill it. So there are other ways. But... Yeah, the most straightforward way is to make sure that you find some high ground when most of the level is submerged. But even that's not so straightforward. But it really felt like a puzzle level to me. A puzzle level, you say? Well, I wouldn't say this was a true puzzle level. But we can get to that later. World 4-6 is just a level that I thought was aesthetically very interesting. So World 4 is giant land and there are just giant versions of all the blocks and all the enemies. In 4.6, I think it's kind of like a level in Super Mario 64, like many years later. So there are doors and when you go through the door, it just swaps you between the normal sized version of the level and the giant version of the level. So... I just thought it was a cool mechanic to see that, you know, all the way back then. World 5.3 has the shoe. This is the only level in the game that has the shoe. So it's really odd that 
they actually programmed in this very complicated mechanic and enemy and power-up that literally only exists in this one level in the game. And it's not a rare power-up in the sense, like the Hammer Brother suit, where it only shows up in a few levels, but you can get it in that level and carry it forward and use it for the rest of the game. The shoe is only usable in this one level as well. Surely it's worthy of being called a boot. Okay, the boot. Sorry, the boot. I don't. I think the game calls it like Goomba's shoe or Karibo's shoe, but you're right. I think it's more traditionally called the boot now in in the 21st century. So, in this one level only, there's a Goomba that's in a boot, and it kind of jumps towards you. And if you hit that Goomba from underneath, it will knock the Goomba out the boot, and then you can get in the boot. And the boot lets you walk on munchers, and the boot lets you stomp on piranha plants. Is the boot hard to control? Yeah, I mean, the boot kind of like, you have to kind of like hop forward because, you know, you don't have legs, you're in a boot. It's just so strange that it's only in this one level. It's an amazingly versatile power-up, and they actually added it to Mario Maker. Like It was one of the things that exists in the Mario 3 skin of Mario Maker, and so many of the most inventive levels in Mario Maker make use of the boot. But this, this is where the boot comes from. World 5.3. So I'm going to talk about when I retired. I retired in World 5.8. Do you remember this one? I actually don't really remember this level. Floating cloud platforms. So you have to jump from small moving cloud platform to another whilst a Lakitu is throwing down Spinies? Spinies, yes. And then I thought one approach would be to kill the Lakitu, but another one just respawns. And you were just like, I'm out. FML. I'm (laughs) out. But you did this, or did you circumvent it? No, I did this. I played every single level. I played and completed every single level. And... I didn't even think this one was remarkably hard. I was just like, oh, it's just another level. I actually thought the level after this one was remarkably hard. I died like five times in a row at the start of the next level. So World 5-9 scrolls rapidly, diagonally up and to the right, and contains an enemy that I think is only in this level. So... It's like a chain chomp, but it's made of fire, and it just spits fire at you. Anyway, those two levels suck. (laughs) And so the remainder of the game, I guess, is only my commentary because you didn't play through it. Disappointed, Ting. So World 6-5 is a puzzle level, and it's genuinely a puzzle level in the sense that there's only one solution... And you have to figure out how to play through this short level over and over and over again to execute the right operations to get out of the level. So there's a particular part of the level that you have to fly to and there's some blocks in the way that you have to break with a shell and there's only one way to do it because there are munchers in the way. So you have to figure out, oh, I need to make sure I get this particular power up and break these particular blocks and kill these enemies, but not those enemies. And, you know, so it's quite interesting. It's literally a puzzle level. And then again, years later, that's a particular like 
type of level that I guess people like to make in Mario Maker. World 7-1, I also thought was worthy of note because it's a level that scrolls only vertically, which is quite unusual, at least for Mario 3. The other thing to note in World 7-1 is that there's a glitch that lets you go directly to the end of the game. So in the any percent speed run for Mario 3, the fastest human completable route is actually to get two warp whistles, warp to world 7, not world 8, and then do this glitch in world 7-1 that involves very precisely placing red Cooper shells and then going down a pipe that you're meant to go up. It's very strange, but it jumps directly to the end credits. So it's pretty cool. And then finally World 8, which you may not have played, but you did see because we did these levels when we were playing together. It looked tiring. Tiring? Yeah. It looked really tiring just watching you play it. Just dodging all those projectiles. Yeah, I mean, it is the last world in the game, so you'd expect it to be pretty hard. Is it a full-blooded world with, you know, eight-ish levels? So, it's quite unusual because, yeah, the normal levels in the game are those kind of square tiles that have a number on them. And World 8 actually only has two normal levels. And the rest of the, the levels in World 8 are kind of like mandatory levels, like... When you move over the level, it pulls you in, like the Hammer Brothers, rather than you choosing to play that level. So there's two kind of tanks, and then one navy, and then one air force, and then these mysterious hands that like pull you in, like these weird dark pulls where there's a 50-50 chance that a hand will appear and just like drag you into the level, which is also... Well, as an adult, it's just like, oh, it's a hand. But as a kid, you're like, oh my god, what just happened? if you're not expecting it, when you're like 10 years old. So in terms of secrets, I think you saw me do this one. When you're trying to get through the Navy, you can actually just swim underneath all the ships. Fortunately, Mario doesn't have a breath meter. So that's an easy way to uh, get through all the cannons and bombs. It's funny, there's all sorts of things we haven't really talked about, but I guess... That means we didn't consider them particularly noteworthy. There's the the airships. There's the bosses at the end of each world. So the Koopalings, which are all named after musicians, at least in the English version. And they're all slightly different mechanically. And then if you die on an airship, the airship will fly off to a different part of the map. And if you didn't complete every level on the map... Because not all of them are mandatory. I guess you could end up in a situation where the airship flies behind a level you haven't completed and it forces you to play another level. But in practice, that just seems to be such a rare occurrence that it feels like an underutilized mechanic. And the final fight against Bowser, which, again, is a unique boss fight. And basically, you just dodge fireballs and have to try and get him to smash through the floor. So no attacks needed to kill Bowser? No. So unlike all the other bosses in the game where you have to jump on their heads a certain amount of time, you don't have to kill Bowser. He'll kill himself. If you do have 
firepower or hammers, you can kill him with those, but generally you won't have that. So. And that's it. What did you think? What did you think? Right? Because I forced you to play this for the book club. What surprised me is that it did remind... I've ne- Actually, let's be honest here. I've never played Super Mario World, but I've seen a lot of Super Mario World being played by cousins, by friends, and I'm just there as an observer because I can't play it. I'm not very good. And Super Mario Bros. 3 reminds me a lot of Super Mario World. Aesthetically, mechanically, secrets-wise, I couldn't tell you. So from a from a visual perspective, from a, a mechanics perspective, it feels like a less refined version of Super Mario World. But saying that, I'm surprised how much there is to it. Like, it's not a vanilla just left to right, left to right, left to right. Beat the boss and you're done. Actually, there's much, much more to it. In terms of how you navigate levels and how you're actually meant to play it, you know, through secrets. Actually, which are a requirement. (laughs) Did you find it fun? Did you find it engaging? Or because you were just playing it meticulously, as you said, every single level, you didn't really... You didn't really engage with it and try and game it. You didn't really think about how you would try and play the game and finish the game. You just knew you had the save states and you played each level and you just played it at that surface level. Yeah, so I, I missed out on the meta, I feel. I ne- there's no concept of, of, oh, which item should I use for this level or when should I use this item to move me through the game? There was a lot of, like, I've scrapped through it with baby mario or little mario and i'm just going to start with that again actually what what fun is playing through every level as small mario i mean if you're doing a speed run i think that's often how they play it but is it fun i don't know some of the time your comment contrasting it to super mario world is basically what i was going to say <laughs> because It was quite interesting for me to play through the whole game and play through every level. And I'm not sure I've played it this way before, just meticulously going through every level. But I do think that at some point in my childhood, I have played every level in the course of discovering the best way to finish the game. Because, you know, I didn't know where all the warp whistles were originally, or I didn't know where all the secrets were, or... Maybe I did know, but I just knew that I'd never played World 6 before. So one day, my objective was just to play World 6 instead of trying to finish the game. Because I just wanted to see what the levels were like in World 6. You know, playing the game in that way, like that meta level of, I want to play the game for this reason, rather than to try and finish the game. That's how, you know, I played the game back then. Having said that, you know, what's the lasting impression the game left on me? Well... I don't really think of Mario 3 as one of my favourite Mario games, you know, because I feel like everything Mario 3 did, Super Mario World does better. And the main reason I suggested playing Mario 3 for the book club for the Mario World is because Mario 3 was on Switch Online and it was just convenient thematically. But I'd still like us to play Mario World one day because it's just so good. You know, Mario World is 
still to me the best 2D Mario game. Maybe we're going to play Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe and then I'm going to be like, it's better, it's better than Mario World. But I'm not sure that's the case. Even things that Mario 3 did really well, like the secrets with the warp whistles, I actually think Mario World is more refined about and does better, even if mechanically they appear to be quite different. But the underlying idea is there and you know the execution of it with the star world is better and things like the map feel a bit underutilized or feel like they weren't really taken and used to their full potential so you know the map is just laid out for you from the start you can see all the connections between the levels you can see all the levels there in advance There's no mystery, there's no reveal, and the map is very simple. So you don't really get a choice of where to go, even if there's a branching path. It's not a hard decision which way to go. If you want to complete every level, you'll just play every level anyway. And if you want to get to the end as soon as you can, well then it's obvious which path you should take. And the only thing that would add some nuance to that is the airship moving behind you know a blocked path or maybe like a hammer brother blocking your path but those are such rare or minor you know inconveniences that there's no decision to make really having said that it's still a very good game even if i feel like you didn't really care (laughs) or enjoy it that much it almost felt like i just played through a bunch of levels through mario maker because i didn't they didn't bring. They weren't. They weren't brought brought together for me. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like you missed out with like the meta because you own Mario Maker, unlike me. Even though I've probably watched more Mario Maker than you've played. <laughs> and yeah, if you didn't play those levels with the meta game of the map and thinking about how you're going to get to the end or how you're going to get to your objective, whatever that may be, did you miss the point? <laughs> Whatever. No. Don't don't let me tell you how you should play games. You can you can stick to your guns. I mean, I just think you're wrong, but that's 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 fine. Are we done? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, sick burn. I guess we're done. I mean, we could make some commentary about how we'd want to incorporate this into the game we're making, except that I've failed to do any game making. Sorry. I'll try harder for next time. So what's next for us? So the next book club game, still staying on the theme of platformers, but we're going to play a modern one. We're going to play what last year for many people was one of their best games that year that we both completely missed out on. Celeste. So it's more than a year old now, right? So I guess it's technically on our backlog so we can play it. So the next book of game is Celeste. Are we playing to completion? Do, do, do we get to dictate that or not? I think I'll oh. probably finish it and you'll probably play half of it and go, yeah, I'm done. But I can finish it if, if that's the goal. No, I, I don't think I get to dictate the goal to you. I think you can choose. So whether I want to do any game dev or not. I think that's your decision to make. So whether I I want you to do any game dev or not. (laughs) So are you telling me that I shouldn't finish it and I should try and (laughs) 
do some game dev, right? So that's the real test. So if I complete Celeste but don't get any game dev done, I failed. Is that the pact? I don't know what the pact is. <laughs> okay. Fine. Let's finish Celeste. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. On Twitch. And YouTube as Lost Levels Club. Are we anywhere else? We're in like too many other places to mention. Okay, we're done. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful I got 10 hours sleep yesterday. (laughs) So Michael says bye. Bye Bye-bye.